Welcome to the 70s versus the 80s, my fellow babies. And if you can tell the difference between Dustin Hoffman, Al Pacino, and Robert De Niro, then this is the podcast for you. Yes, I'm talking to you. You talking to me? You talking to me? No, no, Bobby, I was talking to the audience. You talking to me? Then who the hell else are you talking to? Talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. Oh, never mind. Hey, Spunky, can you hang up a sign on the studio door that says no method actors allowed? I mean, these guys, these guys. Hello, everybody. This is Wolfman Mike on the mic, and I can talk Gen X topics all night. And as always, I am joined by the podcaster formerly known as Spunky Comstock. That's right. It's Bry. Bry guy. No size on the fry guy. Brian. Now I'm going to speak to my fellow Gen Xers. Can you believe it is 2024 already? Neither can I, but that means 50 years ago it was 1974, 40 years ago it was 1984. But luckily for us, those were amazing years for movies. So we're going to talk about which one had the better movie year. And then, you know, these Gen X actors when we were young, they all looked like they were 60 years old. Little did we know that they were a lot younger than that. In fact, they were forever young. So that's first, we start out with our new game, Forever Young. Okay, so we got another edition of Forever Young here, Brian. Uh, this is this game's taken over in popularity. This is where we we name an actor or actress from the old days that we thought were so old, and we find out maybe they weren't that old. So, um, so did you want to start out, Brian, with who you have? So we're looking at 1974 and 1984, since we're now into 2024. So we're going to pick those two. And the one of the top movies at the box office that year was The Towering Inferno. And Paul Newman played the architect of the tower that, that became the towering inferno and Faye Dunaway played his fiance. So this movie came out in 1974. What ages were Paul Newman playing the architect and Faye Dunaway playing his fiance in 1974? Ooh, so that's a tough one. I know in the seventies, I'm, I'm guessing there's going to be an age spread that we don't, cause it's like, uh, in those movies start in the seventies, uh, the, the male lead would always be like 20 years older than the female lead. But I'm trying to remember, Paul Newman's my favorite actor of all time. You think I would know how old he is in that year, but I think, so I'm going to go with he's, uh, I'm going to go with he's 36. Jeez, I'm going to be way off on my favorite actor here. I'm going with he's 36 and Faye Dunaway, who I don't know much about her career. I'm going to say she's 23. All right. So, you're right that there is an age difference between the two of them. It's six, 16 years. Uh, Faye Dunaway, who is still alive, um, was 33 in 1974 when that movie would have came out. And Paul Newman was 49. Paul Newman was born in 1925. So, he would have been... Oh. You were right with he would have been older playing younger. 
and they had the age difference between the two of them. You said 20 years, it was 16. So you're close there, but yeah, you're 13 and 10 off with uh, their ages. Man, can I get any farther off on these? I've been, I think I've been over like 10 years off so far every time. Okay, so um, yeah, were you I, you were only I think fourteen or fifteen off with James Gardner, so you're getting worse with uh, in the Paul Newman one. But uh, you 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 came back and you you saw it in double digits, but you got closer with Fade On Away. Okay, so you're easily gonna. Well, I don't think you're gonna easily beat me, but you should be able to beat me because you have such a cushion here. So I'm going with back to television again, just because I I think that's just funny. I'm going with Ann B. Davis. Do you remember what show she was from on Brian? Ann B. Davis was the fabulous um, maid. At, um, oh, now I can't remember her name, but she was the, on the Brady Bunch. She always was flirting with Sam the Butcher. Um, well, her name's Ann, and she played an, another A, Alice. Alice, yeah. Because I'm thinking, that, well, right? it couldn't, couldn't be Alice because Alice was the the lead in the in in Mel's Diner, one of the female leads, <laughs> Linda Lavin. But okay, Alice, Ann B. Davis mm-hmm. as Alice in the Brady Bunch. Yeah, I'll give you. Let's go with the first season. How old she was? First season. Um, so you'd expect that she would be. I don't know what you would expect. Um, blended <laughs> family, exactly as a housekeeper, an architect, throwing footballs in the backyard, breaking sisters' noses. She was 30, 33 years old in that first season. So you went the opposite way. I thought I always thought she looked older. She was she was forty three, which I still think is pretty young for how she looked. Yeah, now that you mention it, she did look way older. I guess um, I was just trying to think that you're throwing me off there. But okay, so we're both off by ten on the female. Uh, you were ten under for Faye Dunaway, and I was ten under for Ann B. Davis. And mine is probably less uh, forgivable than yours because you're right. She did look older than that. Okay, whereas, well you gave me two here. Should we do? Should we throw in Sam the Butcher because I have no idea how old he was? Yeah, yeah. I'd, um, I'm gonna guess now that she was 43. I'm gonna. He looked older, but that might have just been a factor of being in the 70s. I'm gonna guess he's 46. I think you're right because he was he was 20. It was 69 was the first year, and he was born in 23. So that would be. Right on. Perfect. That's our first. Correct. We got to have something. Uh, oh. I get a I get a month off of having to answer the fan mail. He's one of those guys, though. I mean, he was, on, he was on Archie Bunker, Bunker's place, and and I think he was in All in the Family. He looked like he's forty six, like his entire career. Yes, yes. From the time he was probably twenty five until he would have retired from acting, he just he could play forty six. All right, Brian. So I think we we learned another thing. Uh, uh, you're better at guessing ages than me. Um, I think everybody still comes in looking younger than I expected them to. So this has been another episode of, what are we calling this? Forever Young until we get Forever a better Young. name or something? Right. We got, a, we got that song from 1984, Forever Young, that we're playing right now. And mentioning that, let's go. Let's start talking some movies, 74 versus 84. Should we do that? Yeah, absolutely. And let's, uh, let's, let's start again with 1984. So as we're looking back... 40 and 50 years from the year 2024 at movies uh 1984 i think is very similar to the music year of 1984 where it was a very good year for movies same as it was a very good year for music 
Um, both, I think both the ones that had the top end of the box office, but also uh, some of the ones that would have won awards at the, at the Oscars in, in, you know, 1985's episode of the Oscars for the movies in 84. Um, what do you, without just starting off the conversation, what do you remember about the year 1984 in movies? Yeah, you. It's a, that's a good point. It is like a lot like the music um, year where just big blockbusters and and really the difference between 84, we'll talk about 74 in a little bit, but they're just the blockbusters, I mean, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, Gremlins, The Karate Kid, Police Academy, Footloose. Beverly Hills It's just Cop. the blockbusters of, uh, you know, very commercial, maybe not the most serious movies of all time. So that's what I kind of think of 84. Yeah, I, I, I'm in a similar vein. This is more now becoming entertainment than maybe art, whereas 74, there's still some artsy movies in the top 10 for box office, whereas in 1984, not really. Because the, the movie that would have cleaned up at the at the Oscars that next year was Amadeus uh, Milos Forman's uh, movie, but that wasn't in the top 10. Whereas in 74, you'll see the movie that did get quite a bit of awards uh, was in the top 10 for box office. Yeah. I think that was a seventies thing. People were more serious. They're like, Oh, this movie's being critically acclaimed. We got to go see it. So I think the, you know, the movies that won the awards were also in the top 10. We're like in the 1980s, like you, like you said, we start going more entertainment, more popcorn movie. Um, you know, the top grossing movies, you know, Ghostbusters was the top grosser. I don't, I don't know if it won any awards, you know, maybe on special effects, but you know, just a different, the eighties were a different time, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm totally with you there. Um, and then, like Star Trek three, so we had had a sequel make the top ten, and, and that's considered the best Star Trek movie by quite a few. All right, the search for Spock. So in nineteen eighty four, uh, if you went and saw any of these in the theater, uh, and then now looking back with the window of forty years, what would be your your favorite movie, and, and what do you think, even if it's not your favorite, was like the movie that's maybe most timeless, what holds up today? Um, I guess my favorite, you know, and, I, and I, my favorite in 74 is going to be a comedy is, you know, we don't talk comedies much anymore. My favorite was a comedy called 16 candles. Um, you know, we've covered a little bit of that before in the past. Um, I just, wow, that, that movie, you know, I think it's one of the five funniest movies ever made. Um, you know, and we got some, some really good comedies coming from 74. We'll talk about later. Um, I got that. I got purple rain, you know, this is, I mentioned that as one of my favorite songs. I think that was a, a movie that was really defines 1984, the style of it, kind of the, the music mockumentary type style of it. Um, another movie that was big for me was the karate kid. I, I think that, you know, it was the, it had one of the producers from Rocky. It was kind of a, a younger Rocky movie. Um, and a movie that's still resonating today with, you know, uh, with, uh, Cobra Kai being one of the most important shows on Netflix, I believe. Um, and then you mentioned Amadeus. I think that, you know, that was a movie. A lot of people said Prince was watching that in the theater as he was filming Purple Rain and kind of got a lot of inspiration from that. Amadeus is a movie you probably, it was a very, you know, we were, I was 14 years old when I first saw it and, um, it's not a really a good movie for a 14 year old, but even then I was like, wow, this movie is really incredible, really well made. 
And then, the, you know, we haven't even talked about The Natural yet. You know, one of the best baseball movies ever made. <laughs> I mean, this is just a jammed year. And then, um, you know, I was a big Brian De Palma fan. I don't want to talk about the 1980s without him. So I'll throw in a look, kind of an underground hit body double, <laughs> which was fun to watch because it had all the nudity in it, you know, which was a big deal back in the 80s on movies. So that's kind of what, um, you know, and we didn't even talk Romancing the Stone, which was just, for whatever reason, was a huge movie that year. Um, so I'm kind of hogging up at all. What, what do you think, uh, Brian? What are some movies that made a lot meant a lot to you? Yeah, my my favorite one that I saw in the theaters was The Natural, and I know that I brought that up when we did our baseball episode two three years ago, and maybe yeah, we'll talk movie. about it more. Great, movie. it was wonderful. Uh, uh, Robert Redford does a does a great job as the aging person who's finally getting a chance out in the sun. Um, and then one of my other favorites that year was was Ghostbusters, being Saturday Night Live fans and getting to to see that movie on the big screen was was fantastic. And I'm with you, Amadeus. When you look back at it, it was so well crafted um, that it was a it was, there were people that were you know older than us and knew recognized it as a masterpiece right away. And and now with 40 years gone by, it's still a masterpiece. Yeah, I just watched it recently. Um, you can go on YouTube. YouTube has one where it's called The Best Scene of Amadeus. I, I recommend everybody watch that. It just, it's just a masterpiece, the way they mix the music in with the emotion, and really great. Astounding. It was actually, it was beyond belief. These were first and only drafts of music. But they showed no corrections of any kind. Not one. He had simply written down music already finished in his head. Page after page of it, as if he were just taking dictation. So then when we turn the page, you know, 10 years prior and go to 1974, uh, Two of the movies, in fact, two of the top four grossing movies that year, we talked about uh, about three, four episodes ago when we did uh, a Mel Brooks, Mel Brooks kind of ode to Mel Brooks mashup of some of his best movies and compared the ones from the 70s versus two from the 80s. But Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein, uh, we've talked about those. They're in the top 10 for grossing. They were fantastically made movies. They opened the path to other comic genres to, did, to follow in that. that episode. Did we mention that blazing saddles was the number one grossing movie? I don't even remember mentioning that. I don't that. think we did. We were more about watch blazing saddles and be prepared for the language, but stick it out, watch it all the way through. It's a masterpiece. That shocks me that it's number one. I mean, I mean, I knew it was a popular movie, but number one, that just, that shocks me. Well, especially when you look at the star power that was in towering inferno and the kind of the, I don't know if it's the advent of the, the, the big, you know, action adventure based on a, on a, some kind of disaster movie. I know we had the um, airport or air, you know, that was, there was one cause there's airport 75, which was a sequel is also in the top 10, but to, to outgross towering inferno when it had Robert Redford and, and um, I think Fred Astaire was in it. You had lots of uh, you know, kind of the, the big cast, the, the blockbuster cast on that, in that movie. And then to have blazing saddles with, Gene Wilder, but also an unknown um, Cleavon Little to outgross Tower Inferno was quite, uh, a, you know, quite the accomplishment for Mr. Mel Brooks that year. 
Mel Brooks to have number one with Blazing Saddles, number four with Young Frankenstein. And it's I'm just kind of looking, Blazing Saddles was Warner Brothers, Young Frankenstein was 20th Century Fox. I wonder, you'd think you'd stay with the same studio. I wonder what happened there. But um, yeah, the the number 10, and then we got The Trial of Billy Jack. The Billy, Billy Jack's a little bit before our time. He's kind of um, Chuck Norris before Chuck Norris. Um, he wore the cow. He was kind of a karate guy with the cowboy hat. Am I right? I mean, I don't. I don't know much about B- Billy Jack because it was a little Honestly, bit before our time. I, I've never seen that movie, and that movie to me never really came across you know the pop culture in any circles that I've traveled in. So I think the Trial of Billy Jack is actually a sequel. It, it was pretty popular franchise. Um, yeah, but it, like guys, you know, and it kind of had the karate blue jeans, like we were talking about. But um, that that was a little bit before our time, and, it, and it's just weird that, that that would come in at number three. Yeah, um, really, I think the big <laughs> for seventy four, you, you had those comedies, but then you have all the disaster movies: The Towering Inferno, Earthquake, Airport seventy five. Yeah, um, just all that stuff is pretty crazy. I guess I'll just kind of mention the five, the kind of five movies I put. The Longest Yard. So here we go with a comedy again. We've already done that. We did that episode for the Super Bowl last year. That's one of my favorite, I think, top five comedies of all time is The Longest Yard. Um, I put in Godfather 2 because I think it, it might in some ways be the most important sequel ever because a lot of people think it's better than Godfather 1. I, I'm not one of those people, but I do know I do recognize it's an important sequel because it's at least as good as, as Godfather 1. I put in Chinatown because we... <laughs> We haven't talked much about Jack Nichols. Uh, Jack Nichols. How come I can't say his name? Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholson. Um, we haven't talked much about him, um, you know, much for being when we're, we're such into these movies. I think Chinatown um, was really a, a, a famous movie. I just watched it recently. It's really a, a film noir movie. Um, I, I put Gone with the Wind just because that movie was on a million times when we were kids. Not not one of my favorite movies, but I just thought it was really important. I think it's, uh, and I remember my third grade teacher, Miss Nelson, saying, she goes, books are always better with, than the movies. And she goes, except for Gone with the Wind. She goes, that movie's better. And I just never forgot that. And then speaking of books, I put The Great Gatsby. I mean, that's way down here at like number, uh, that didn't make the top 10. It, it's number 16 for top grossing movies that year which I think is pretty crazy. We're talking about Robert Redford again. So that's kind of my list. I, th- I thought those movies were all kind of important. Uh, what do you have, Brian? Do you have anything? Well, yeah, obviously my two favorite movies of the of that year would have been Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein because I kind of forced us to do a Mel Brooks episode a little while ago. Uh, I like the, the disaster movies. Uh, Airport 75 would have been the one um, that stuck out to me the most. Earthquake, I don't know if I've ever watched it. And, and Towering Inferno... Um, seems that that they're like maybe trying too hard again that that's kind of the forebear of all those now you get the you know 17 stars in a movie about you know some holiday that they're trying to get everyone just to go watch the one that kind of surprised me was having life and times of grizzly adams and benji back to back at eight and nine um <laughs> that you'd have those movies at the same time as having all the disaster movies is kind of a, a juxtaposition of where maybe the American public's mindset was in the seventies. Yeah. And I got, I got Herbie rides again at 11 right next to Benji. Um, those movies. Yeah. We got to mention the good, the bad with the good uh, Herbie, those Herbie movies, Benji movies. That must've been the original Benji. Cause it's just called Benji. Yeah. <laughs> um, those, 
I don't know. Do those hold up today? Would you I, would you go back know. and rewatch those? I don't think I would. It's I think it was Disney because they also had like the the Shaggy Da, like the dog that would the person that turned into a dog or things like that back in in that time frame. Uh, they're they're live movies compared to the the animation. I think Disney had had a great hand for doing animated movies, but not so much for live action movies. But it's just it gives it. We talked a little bit on the on the music for '74, where you'd had the the the, the party southern rock kind of things also against the 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 mellow singer songwriters and that's what we're kind of we're getting the big action disaster movies with towering inferno earthquake and airport uh, against the more feel-good benji and the life of times of grizzly adams and then yeah herbie herbie rides again this is this is way before Lindsay lohan <laughs> and then you know the I what I really love about the movies in the seventies is I, I like the, kind of the independent movies, and we see, you know, I got fourteen, I got Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think this was kind of some of the independent movies, kind of kind of bubbling up there. You know, not not big releases, but they did pretty good um, in the uh, box office. I'm with you. I saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was in the top twenty. Uh, and then I know you talked about Godfather Part Two. That kind of did uh, well at the awards. It won for Best Picture, uh, Directing, and De Niro had a Supporting Actor win for Godfather Part Two. And then I know that there currently there's a re re like a revamp of these Agatha Christie type stories. And uh, Murder on the Orient Express was uh, Ingrid Berman won. Ingrid Berman. Bergman won for sporting actress for Murder on the Orient Express. I know that that's, those are being remade. Murder on the Orient Express a few years ago, and then I think there's been another one every year. I think Kenneth Branagh is kind of the lead. And then, uh, I, you know, I've talked about this show quite a bit. I, th- I think it's on Paramount, so it's kind of hard to find. I don't think a lot of people watched it, but it was called The Offer, and it was about the, the Godfather, the making of it, scene from uh, Albert Ruddy, the producer of The Godfather. So he left a very basically. I'll tell you, it's a ten part series. It's very good. He he left a very successful uh, uh, Hogan's Heroes. So over oh, Ruddy, Heroes. he left a yeah. very successful Hogan's Heroes, where he just kind of got to be a producer on that show. Just kind of came out of nowhere, and he left that to go make The Godfather, and th- that's kind of what this whole series is about: how he makes The Godfather. But then seventy four is an interesting year because he does not make the Godfather two after having all this success on God. He left that to make the longest yard. So, and which I thought was great because I love that movie. So it's everything he touched was kind of golden there for a while. Um, so that's a little sidebar there. Just kind of what was going on in 74. There's, there's a lot of good movies. I mean, they're all popping off at the same time. Like, I think it's, it's a big disaster year for the disaster movies. And then we get some comedies and then, you know, we can kind of see the independence kind of bubbling up a little bit. So if you had if I did if you had to choose what what year do you think leaves a bigger impressions in movies, uh, Brian? Nineteen seventy four or nineteen eighty four? This is close to a toss up because you have blockbuster after blockbuster in eighty four. The start of some you know franchises with Beverly Hills Cop and Indiana Jones and Police Academy because I think there's been seventeen, twenty, twenty three. I don't know so many sequels of Police Academy, and then you look at the the, the Great disaster movies, big cast disaster movies of 74, some fantastic comedies, uh, really Mel Brooks, you know, dunking on everybody. Uh, I would lean towards 84, but my of the 
if you you said if you took the top twenty move the top ten movies from each year, uh, my two favorites would be out of seventy seventy four with Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. Uh, but then I'd have a bunch of eighty four ones before I'd get another one from seventy four. So you know, on this, it's been a long running joke on here. You know, the seventies versus the eighties. The seventies always wins. Um, I think I'm going to go with the music. You know, we went huge, 84, because it was maybe the biggest music year ever. I think I'm going to go with 84 again here, over 74, just because I'm looking. And um, the movie I love, 16 Candles, came in at number 37 on the box office, way down there. Scarface, which we didn't even talk about, comes way down at 32. So a year that has movies like that way down in the 30s, um, it's just such a thick year. You know, it just goes so deep in 84. Revenge of the Nerds at 16. We didn't even talk about a lot of these. Uh, Purple Rain made it 12. Splash didn't even make the top 10. It was at 11. Uh, Romancing the Stone, which I don't don't know if I'd go back and watch that movie. It it was big at the time. I don't think anybody ever talks about it anymore. Um, Terms of Endearment was at 9. So I think just, you know, 84 was just so deep. You know, Footloose at 6. It just, you know, just went so deep. Um... DC cab at 80. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, I'm gonna I think I'm gonna have to go with 84 again. You know, 74 had those big hits, but I think that the best of the 70s is still ahead of us coming, you know, years after that. You know, even though you had those two awesome Mel Brooks movies I know you love, and I they are amazing movies. Um, I think I'm just gonna have to go with 84 just for how deep it runs. All right, so two victories for 84, uh, leading off our look back at uh, 40 and 50 years ago as we're celebrating the beginning of 2024. Mike, we touch on sports here at the 70s or 80s podcast often. Um, we were big sports fans growing up. So I wanted to use this kind of looking back time at 50 and 40 years ago to review of these eight finals, which one would you have most wanted to see in person? You get in, a, in the 70s versus 80s time machine. Um, I think it's booked out for a while, but if you could get into it, go back to one of these eight sporting events to watch, either like the, the, the final game or in the event of the Super Bowl, just that event, which one would you want? So starting with 1974, uh, the Super Bowl was held. So this is for the 73 season, but held in, in January 13th of 74. It was the Minnesota Vikings against the Miami Dolphins. Uh, that year, the NBA Finals was held between April 30th and May 12th, and the Celtics won over the Milwaukee Bucks. The NHL was May 7th through May 19th of 1974. The Philadelphia Flyers won over the Boston Bruins. And the World Series was from October 12th through October 17th of 74, and that was Oakland over the Dodgers, so very California World Series there. Hmm. Uh, Ten years later, the Super Bowl was held on January 22nd of 1984. The Raiders beat the Redskins. The NHL Finals was May 10th through May 19th of 1984, with the Edmonton Oilers winning out over the New York Islanders. The NBA was from May 27th through June 12th of 1984 with the Boston Celtics beating the Los Angeles Lakers. And to wrap up these eight events, the World Series was from October 9th through October 14th, 1984, and that was the Detroit Detroit Tigers over the San Diego Padres. Um, and while you're thinking, I just want to let our listeners know 
uh, yes, those dates were when these events were held. This year, the Super Bowl will be held on February 11th, so mm-hmm. almost a full month after the Super Bowl would have been held in 1974. Yeah, uh, I think all past, four of those leagues are about a month yeah. beyond, over now, yeah. Um, especially like the NBA, it last the twenty twenty three was from June first through June twelfth, and in nineteen seventy four started in April. So again, a whole month. <laughs> Hockey, the same thing, June third. So we had those were Stanley Cup finals were in May, and then baseball started on October twenty seventh. Um, so again, half a month later. Uh, that sports creep where the seasons really kind of overlap. It didn't used to be as bad in the seventies. Um, you'd have the World Series would be finished in middle of October and then you could turn your focus to the the NFL just getting going yeah. and turn to college football so like Reggie Jackson's nickname was Mr. October it wouldn't even be a plow yeah apply anymore <laughs> Cause, yeah because the games um, are in November so I'll just give my quick answers so in 74 you know the 70 that would have been the 73 Vikings that was my favorite that's my favorite team is the Minnesota Vikings my favorite season ever would probably be 73 because I think it was their most their best team I think um, and then they were going up against the undefeated. That would have been the undefeated, uh, correct? That would have been the undefeated. I'm not Miami sure if Dolphins. that was their undefeated year. If the following year was seventy three was their undefeated year, so they would have won the 70, Super Bowl in seventy four. I think it was the seventy two Dolphins that were undefeated and would have been in seventy three. So the Dolphins are going back to back, but I don't okay. think they were undefeated that year. Okay, my my wrong. So that would be my favorite because you know how often you get uh, my earliest memories. I remember that. That's like maybe my, I remember watching that game actually. <laughs> Minnesota um, listeners. Yes. It was a thing of the Vikings being in the Super Bowl. So when we get the 70s and you, losing, you ever get a slot and losing. Yes. But at least they went. Yeah. So I remember we're four years old and I can, I can remember the heaviness in the room of them losing that. Um, and then for 84, I'm going to, I'm just going to go, you know, I just watched the show winning time. The the Boston Celtics Los Angeles Lakers is a rivalry in sports. We may never see. A, I mean, it's still going. I mean, maybe they'll both. You know, Boston's awesome again. You know, the Lakers has LeBron James. So you know, I don't think they'll make it to the finals, but Boston very well could be. That's just a um, a rivalry we've never seen in sports, a long lasting, going over decades. So that's my answer, Brian. What do you have? Yeah, I have the exact same thing. Um, I was going to do it just one of the eight, and, and I would pick that uh, 1984 Celtics over Lakers because you did have Magic Johnson and, and Kareem and Worthy and the showtime of the Lakers against um, Bird and Parrish and McHale on that Celtics team. And the, I think three or four or three out of four years or four to five years they met in the finals and it was a, a it was quite the rivalry you'd be want to watch that in person and get that that feeling of the east coast west coast and uh, yeah for for 74 maybe the, the 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 broad street bullies the flyers over the ruins um but uh, it, i would go back to watch the vikings in a super bowl because yes it's happened in our lifetime but it very well may not happen again in our lifetimes <laughs> um so and then you'd have to go back, right? Yeah, you'd have to go back. And then I just, uh, I kind of misunderstood the assignment. I went with with the big sporting events. So I was thinking, can we call Evil Knievel? I think we can call him a sporting event because he was in so much, he was always doing something nobody else could do and he was in danger. That, that was, 74 was the year he, he tried to jump over the Snake River and that, I, I'm not picking that because, 
I like the motorcycle, how he'd have to absorb the landing in that old Harley Davidson. I thought it was a more of a physical feat. Um, so I'm not going to pick that. Uh, but 74 did have the rumble in the jungle. Uh, and so we're going Muhammad, you know, Muhammad Ali, I'm putting him as the greatest athlete ever. Um, and this is when they had George Foreman and it was in Zaire. When are they ever going to have a big sporting event in Zaire again? And rumble in the jungles, greatest name for a sporting event ever. So that's my 74. And then 84, I get a little, uh, a little greedy. It's a little personal. I'm going with the 84 Olympics. And the reason I'm going for that is because, uh, all the Russia and the Eastern Bloc countries, uh, they boycotted that Olympics. So you're like, Mike, why is that so great? Well, for, uh, because McDonald's ran a promotion where you, if for every gold medal, you'd get a cheeseburger or a hamburger. Uh, for every silver medal, you'd get French fries. And, you know, a bronze would be a drink of your choice, a Coke or whatever. And um, so all those Eastern countries, uh, they boycotted. And um, basically, McDonald's lost their shirt because they were just giving away everything because America won medal, medal and everything. And I still can't eat McDonald's to this day because I just got so sick of it eating it in 1984. I was giving stuff away. Everybody was giving stuff away. Nobody could eat it anymore. So It's been 40 <laughs> years. You'd think that you would be over that, but maybe not. And yeah, I, it was just so strong. It was so strong in 84 with the McDonald's. I just still can't get over it. When when Gasper left the message about uh, 1974 song uh, Bungle in the Jungle, I misspoke when I was uh, recalling it and called it Rumble in the, Rumble in the Jungle. So now people know where my mind was with 1984. That's funny. Those came out the same year. Those two those two events came out the same year. Well, and I, when we when we did our uh, ode to Wide World of Sports, um, that's the first event I remember watching on Wide World of Sports was the Snake River uh, Canyon Jump by Evil Knievel. So I, that, that, that has a special place in my heart as well. Very iconic. It's just, yeah, I think that, that just dominated our childhood. Yeah. And that is it for another episode of the 70s versus the 80s, my babies. But don't despair. We still have 74 versus 84 in television. And what else should we cover? Should we do sneakers? How about 74 sneakers versus 84 sneakers? We'll figure it out. So for Spunky Comstock, this is Wolfman Mike. Please remember to wash your hands after you wipe. Good night. Blended family, as a housekeeper, architect, throwing footballs in the backyard, breaking sisters' noses.